Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show where you'll learn to transform your heartbreak into happiness. I'm Sarah Davison and today my guest is the lovely Rosie Green. She is one of the most inspiring women I know. She wears her heart on her sleeve and is hugely empowering for other women. Rosie is an award-winning journalist who also happens to be on the journey from heartbreak to happiness. She started out at Vogue having won their Young Writers Competition and then moved on to Elle, where she worked her way up to beauty director. Rosie has worked with all major beauty brands and tried thousands of products. She's styled every Hollywood A-lister from Sarah Jessica Parker to Cameron Diaz. In 2004, Rosie moved to Red Magazine, where she wrote about family life with her husband and her kids in a hugely popular column that ran for 10 years. Then, Following her blindsiding marriage breakup, Rosie has documented her journey from heartbreak to happy through her writing, her blog, and her social media, where she connects with thousands of women going through devastating breakups. Now, I met Rosie when she came for a coaching session, and then she also came to my breakup recovery retreat for a two-day weekend workshop on how to get over your breakup. I love her energy, her smile, and her positive attitude. She's really inspiring and empowering at the same time as being incredibly relatable. She's down to earth, and she's not afraid to talk about the ugly crying either. So let's welcome Rosie to the show. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. It's so great to have you. Thanks so much for being a guest on our show. So a lot of people listening are going through really tough times right now and devastating breakups. And I know you have your own story to tell about that. So I was going out with my husband for 26 years. I was married for 15. And it was that classic case of, you know, we met at university and fell in love. And we, you know, we kind of, we were like the couple least likely to split up. You know, we rubbed along fine together. We, you know, we fancied each other. We kind of had the same values. I remember him coming back from the pub and they'd obviously had a conversation about who was dangerous, like who was likely to kind of break out and leave their marriage. And, you know, it was very clear that that wasn't him or, and sort of morally, he was always kind of very inter-family and very anti-people who left and and that kind of thing. So um, I just felt really, really safe. I mean, every split is hard. uh, But for me, the big thing to deal with for me was actually the shock. It was just so shocking to me that, suddenly this person that I'd known my entire life was a stranger, you know, and was saying strange things to me and behaving in a way that I just couldn't ever imagine he would behave. So were there warning signs then or were you completely blindsided by it? I was completely blindsided. I mean, in the kind of very immediate run up to, you know, him kind of saying that he didn't want to be in the marriage and, um, I'd sort of noticed that in the the last couple of months almost. I mean, I guess, you know, it's like anything, this sort of journey that we've been on, you've been on, we've all been on, 
you know, makes me look back and realise there probably were warning signs that I didn't see or didn't choose to see. But to all intents and purposes, you know, we were kind of happy. We were going on holidays. We were going for dinner. We were having sex. We were doing all those things that, you know, a normal couple does, you know. So how did you find out that your marriage was over? Well, legally, I can't sort of go into the absolute crux of it. But essentially, he just started behaving in a way that I would never expect him to. You know, he kind of started not coming home from work. You know, he was very, he was quite absent. And then he was very angry. And then, you know, that classic line of, I love you, but I don't love you anymore. You know, which just, oh my God, the pain of that is just so horrific, isn't it? Yes, it's really horrific. So what did you do, Rosie, in the early days? Because when you first find out, it can really take the floor from underneath your feet. What did you do to help you get through in those early days? I mean, I think I learned that actually it's just day by day. And something I did was reach out to people. In the olden days, people would keep that kind of shame to themselves. They would feel shame and they would feel guilt and they would feel, you know, but actually I kind of, I mean, in the very early days, I reached out to a small amount of people because I was hoping that we'd be able to make it through. So I didn't want all these people to know and judge and and all that sort of stuff. So, but I did reach out to a few people um, and I just tried to kind of keep going like day by day. I mean, it is literally like one foot in front of the other, but I think you're right. The pain is like nothing else. I mean, you know, by this stage of life, we've all been through horrible stuff. We've lost loved ones. You know, we've been through massive disappointments, but actually that ego pain of rejection, I think there is nothing like that, actually. Yes, that ego pain is huge, but also there's the physical pain that you get from heartbreak. Did you experience that? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I had was, I, I don't know if I had physical pain, but I had physical symptoms. So I, I couldn't eat anything. I, you know, I kind of, I wrote a piece about this for Elle, I kind of lost two stone in about a month you know I was just on adrenaline I just remember this kind of frantic heartbeat all the time and and, you know sort of having to do stuff with the kids and kind of go to their carol concerts and you know you just sit there in this weird kind of suspended reality just kind of looking around thinking you know my entire life has changed and been smashed apart but yet here I am saying you know you need to take your recorder to school so, sorry, in answer to your questions, I think it's about reaching out to people. It's For me, I started reading. Um, I did come across you very early on, actually, because we did meet on the course. But actually, I think I came to see you as well really early. Yes, you did. You did yeah. I sort of had this survival instinct in me. I knew that I, I wanted to survive. And I knew that I approached it in the same way I approach most things. I read about it. I find the people that I think can help me. And I just thought, I'm not going to let this kind of kill me, basically. Yes, I think it's really important because you have a choice, don't you? I mean, at that point, you do have a choice. And that's a choice of either wallowing and going down with your breakup. And I know that's human nature. A lot of the time, it's so overwhelming, especially in those early days, right? It's all you can do to put one foot in front of the other and just keep on going But then, you know, the other choice is to say, well, this isn't going to define me for the rest of my life. I need to let it go and move forward. And I think if you've got the mindset, as you did, Rosie, at that point, to be able to appreciate that there is a choice so that, you know, you're not dragging this around forever as baggage or like a gray cloud, 
and you actually decide to step up and move forward, however hard, then that's how we keep going. And I know that one of the ways you've done that is to share your experience with other women. So why do you think that it's important to share your experiences going through a breakup? I mean, for me, I think it really gave me clarity because I think the thing I feel like I experienced a a sort of large degree of gaslighting, whether it was meant or not meant, you know, that kind of, um, you know, like you're blowing this out of proportion, you're being too sensitive, you're doing all these kind of things, you're, you know, the kind of minimizing of pain, this happens to 50% of people, all, all that kind of stuff. So I guess by sort of sharing your story and other people saying, you know, no, that's not okay, or actually that's a really shitty situation to be in, you get a kind of strength. And actually one of the things that I've been doing on my Instagram, my website, is that people will send me their stories. Now, I knew that I was lucky because I I wrote about my breakup in red. I, I had written a column for 10 years about family life and you know all the really funny things about having young kids you know like your car's stuck together with raisins you kind of you know you're like trying to go to sleep at night and your commando crawling out of their room (laughs) funny stuff about my husband you know like the kind of you know just those kind of differences between men and women so so I kind of had a certain degree of I guess following from that Um, and people really loved it and related to it and so when I went through this, I went to see my red editor. And for me, I guess it's like, I just told her everything. That was so helpful to me because she knew the story. I wasn't, she, she could see the genuine pain. She could see all that. And she said, well, if you, if you want to write, you don't have to, but if you want to write about it, then, then do it. And I wrote about it. And as you said, it was, you know, it was real, you know, it was snot and tears. And it was me saying, I've been dumped. I've been rejected. I've been left. And I think because I was honest about that, it had such a major response. And then I think people said, well, you know, it's happened to her, so I can talk about it. It's, you know, and the perceived, you know, obviously we all know we get dressed and we wear our leisure and we look rubbish, but, the, you know, the perceived vision of that lifestyle, you know, working in magazines, glamorous, fun, gorgeous husband, gorgeous kids, you know, they sort of thought this has happened to her, it's happened to me. They could relate to that. I kind of spent a lot of time Googling, like, I don't know, like Beyonce or Reese Witherspoon or all these people or Jennifer Garner who've obviously been through utter, you know, and I just thought actually it happens to a lot of people and I find that helps with the ego, you know, because you sort of think, don't you, if you're clever enough or you're kind enough or you're pretty enough or you're slim enough or you're, you know, whatever, it won't happen. Yes, it really does happen to everyone. And, you know, this is feedback that I hear from a lot of people telling me their stories. And I know you hear a lot of stories too, Rosie, especially on your Instagram lives, you connect with people and you hear their stories. And quite often you put up the most amazing posts with a little quote from some of them. Are there any stories that have really touched you? Well, the first story was from my beloved cousin, um, a colleague of his, and he said, oh, you know, this was before, I think I've written the red piece actually. And he said, oh, she just wants to send this email to you and it was so kind of her because she was like four years on and she just sent me this thing saying you will be all right it's unbelievably horrible I've been through the same things as you ultimately you know you're a decent person this is a horrible blip and you'll get there and I was just so touched by that she didn't need to do that and it gave me such a strength and then I had people's like friends of mine's mothers writing to me and saying do you know what actually 
you know, my husband had did this in the like 1960s and, and we've got over it or I never got over it or all this kind of stuff. And it just really gave me some clarity. And I thought, well, if it's helping me, then I think it'll help other people. So when I set up my website, I encouraged people to send the stories if they wanted to. And, you know, I think people find it really cathartic. You know, there was one lady recently who um, her husband was obviously being horrendous. And But when you're in it, it's quite hard to see that. But then she gets the feedback of people saying that's not okay. You know, it gives her clarity and it gives us clarity. Yes. And I think when you get that clarity, even though sometimes it's clarity we don't want to see or hear, then it actually gives us a little bit more power because then you're in a better place, a more informed place to do something about it. Yes, I agree totally. And I think the support of, you know, other women. Also, I will say that probably 50% of the emails I get of people that are right in the pits of hell. You know, their husband said, I just, you know, I've been with you for 10 years or 15 years. We've got two kids. I just don't feel the same anymore, you know. And I have to say that is torturous for me because I would say in 90% of those cases, they've got someone else. And to me, that is just the cruelest thing because this woman is like floundering around thinking, why doesn't he feel the same? We've not done this. We've not done that. How can I change his mind? How can I do this? And you you can't because that person is infatuated with someone else and they've seen their future with someone else. And and that changes their behavior so much. So as well, that's something that I see a lot of. Yeah. Why do you think that's used as a reason? you know, just that I'm not really into you or it's fizzled out rather than being honest. Do you really think it's 90% of cases, as you say, it's a big number. Why do you think that is? Because I think the guy doesn't want to face up to the person that he is, the things that he's doing. And I think, you know, if I've learned one thing, it's that, well, I've learned a few, quite a few things, but it's that the narrative and, you know, including myself, the narratives we can tell ourselves to justify our behaviour are unbelievable you look at the kind of the sort of the web of lies people will construct and then the justifications that they will tell themselves for doing terrible things and ultimately if they say I've just fallen out of love with you or you're a terrible person I mean that's one of the hardest things that I see is that you know because a lot of these guys feel shit or they know they're doing something horrific they have to make it the wife or the partner's fault and then they by doing that they say you're shit you're not tidy enough you put on weight you never tidied the house you never did any of those things and the fact is they've fallen out of love with them and they've fallen in love with someone else you know but to justify their behavior that's what they do and that has a double effect of you know these women their self-esteem is so smashed already and then starting to think oh my god well maybe it is my fault and you know maybe I should put some more makeup on and lose some weight and do all that things but they're on a losing wicket you know yes absolutely I think it can be incredibly damaging I think we can be our own worst enemies and those hamster wheel questions just take you round and round in circles and you know these disempowering questions we ask ourselves like what's wrong with me why don't they love me anymore will bring up answers will come up with answers in our heads right to to answer those questions and, and they won't be helping you move forward quite often they will make you feel low and sad and keep you stuck which is why you need a good set of friends around you but another thing I hear a lot of is that people lose their friendships going through divorce 
Um, it can be hard for friends. Did you experience that? Yeah, I mean, I think generally I've been really lucky. I have seen situations whereby some people can step up and some people can't. And I think the only answer to that is to just reach out to those that can and just be philosophical about the ones that can't because you just don't know why that is. It might be triggering fears of theirs that, you know, their marriage is about to break up. It might be that they just don't have the bandwidth for it. Or, you know, it might be, it just might be that they're not that character. They're the person you go out and have a drink with, you know. So I think it's, I think the really important thing is not to think people sort of owe you something because I think you're on a sticky wicket there you know I just think actually a wide circle of friends and spread it out a bit as well like I remember once at the really bad stages of my breakup I would literally like go through phone calls like a chain smoker you know I would put the phone down to my brother and then I would call my cousin and then I would call my friend and then I would call even in my sort of depths I was aware that I couldn't put too much on one person Yes, absolutely. I think that's really good advice. I think dumping everything on one friend can be a little bit overwhelming. So yes, if you're lucky enough to have that, that selection of people to go to, then yes, that's really important. So I know you talk a lot about the things that you do, even little or small things like different products, nice smelling products, massage. So do these little things really make a difference, do you think, to help you get through your breakup? You know, I really think they do. I had a kind of um, aromatherapy ball, I remember when, I mean, I can't smell any of those things now. It's like even certain flowers take me back, you know, so powerful, the smell. You know, actually aromatherapy, I think is just really lovely. And even when I felt at my worst, when I climbed into a bath, I I love this um, aromatherapy associate, it's called like Deep Relax, it's like a sleeping Mm. pill. They just bring out a sort of um, diffusion range that's cheaper called Aroma Actives. But those kind of things, I think, make a difference. And actually, um, I interviewed this really amazing sort of somatics and yoga teacher. And she said it's very hard to feel anxious if you feel really warm and cosy and you've kind of... So actually, I think just looking after yourself, putting on a nice cosy jumper, you know, putting some slippers on, having a hot water bottle. I mean, obviously, they're not going to make you suddenly be like... But they all just help. And I think that kind of doing your hair, having a shower, it's like you've invested in yourself. You know, I do genuinely think that stuff kind of keeps you going. I mean, I feel better just having had a shower and done my makeup to talk to you. I know. During my breakup, I had a juicy tracksuit and, you know, it kind of walked out of my apartment on its own by the end because I didn't take it off. It was so cozy, so warm and velvety. You know, I think we do get stuck in a rut sometimes, you know, not washing our hair, not wanting to go out. And I do think, yes, it's really good advice to use some of your favorite things and not be afraid to do things a little bit differently. Now, I know that you are queen of mini breaks or micro breaks that you go on. So do you recommend those as well? Because I'm seeing you in some amazing places. I do. I mean, I've got the enviable job as a sort of spa reviewer for the Telegraph. So, you know, I kind of feel a bit guilty in that I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to afford to go to them or, you know, I think I would splash out on some of them, but I wouldn't be able to go to them all. I think for me, what's important is getting that distance. I wrote a piece of the Telegraph about how travel just really helps. Now, I don't think that necessarily needs to be some flashy five star hotel or, 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 you know, spa, but just getting a getting a sense of perspective 
you know, get if you can afford it, getting on a plane, if not going to see a friend in a different part of the country, because it's almost like that just kind of, you know, if you're at home just going through those things all the time, being stuck there, I think it's just really helpful to get a different, a different perspective. And, you know, you can read all those books like um, Cheryl Strayed's Wild and uh, Love and all those things. And I think, you know, travel just plays such an important part. I mean, it's painful. You know, the first holiday we went on, I went with the kids who went to Abu Dhabi and, you know, they were really scared. You know, we used to go to an airport as a kind of family of four with big, strong, you know, daddy. And it was hard. But actually, we went there and we did it and we had a nice holiday and we saw some sunshine and it was good. You know, I mean, obviously everybody's different, but a lot of my friends who've split up have gone away by themselves with their kids. And generally I see that that is quite challenging. You know, it feels that there's an absence. And so the first three holidays we did were all like with friends or family or going to see friends or family. And for me, that kind of worked a lot better. Yes, that is a really good idea because it can be tough to find yourself on your own at the dinner table. I remember I was with my son for dinner on one of our holidays. It was just me and him. And we'd gone down for dinner in the restaurant in the hotel. And I sat there with him. We got our meal. But then I looked up and he'd gone. He was off running around the restaurant, had a little play area in the corner. And he was off doing that. And I was on my own at the table. (laughs) And I sat there feeling really self-conscious. It was really embarrassing. And I I felt that everybody was looking at me. I mean, they weren't, but that's what I felt, you know. So after that, I learned the lesson and I always took a book with me after that. So if it did happen, I wasn't looking like I was sat there on my own, just feeling awkward. I had something to do. And the irony is that it's all about self-perception, isn't it? Because you might have been embarrassed at that point, whereas, I mean, I would look over and think, oh, what a fabulous woman, you know. So it's all about how, and you say this, how, you you know, what lens you choose to see it through. Obviously, if you feel rubbish, you're going to feel a bit like this. But I always taught, teach that flip it technique, don't you? But I always try and sort of see it from a positive angle if I can, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget one day I was lying by the pool and my son must have been about three, I think. And he was in the little paddling pool you know the ones that you can just sort of go in for toddlers and I was watching him and this lady came over and she stormed over to me and she was like can I ask you a question I was a bit nervous but I said yes uh okay and she said are you here on your own just you and your son just the two of you and I said uh yes yes I am And I looked at her, I was dreading what she was going to say. And then she just said, oh, wow. She said, I'm so jealous. That would be my perfect holiday. I'm here with my husband and he's annoying me. My three kids are arguing. And I was so gobsmacked because looking around, you think, wow, everyone else is on a lovely family holiday and I'm on my own with my son and missing out on things. But actually the perception, her looking at me, was, wow, I'd much rather be that lady without my husband here, just with my son, just doing my thing. So it really made me think, I suppose. That's when I started to realize that, as you said, it's all about perception. It is. And I do think, I mean, it's slow. I read this book called um, The Joy of Being Single, I remember, quite early days. And, you know, obviously, I'm actually somebody that likes to be in a relationship. So it's not like I kind of, but you know, there are positives, aren't there? Especially, you know, your parenting, you don't have to make those kind of compromises all the time. And, you know, there is a kind of, I wrote recently that actually, 
you know, it always used to make me feel really sad, like locking the door at night, you know, with just the three of us in there. But um, now I actually feel a sort of contentment at that point. I don't feel scared. I don't feel a lack. You know, time does work in that way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And other opportunities come up, like dating, for example. And I know you haven't been afraid to talk about your dates, Rosie, and I love reading your stories about that. And especially, I love the one about you getting naked for the first time. So yes, please do share that story with us. So I, I mean, as I say, I met my husband at 18, you know, yeah. sort of very limited in, um, my friend said to me once, she was like, I've slept with more people on one holiday than you have in your entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I've had very limited experience really and so yeah I kind of I did instantly know that that's something I wanted to do and I remember talking to you actually and you said you know actually you know you can get on the sites and you can you can just get a kind of sense that you are a person that's attracted to other people that that they will want to you know they'll want to see you and stuff and I remember actually on your retreat you know I think you asked us what our biggest fears were and I said to this lovely guy next, you know, we had to do it together. And yeah. I was like, I just think nobody's ever going to love me. And bless him, he was a bit like, I think you're going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sweet. And I was like, I genuinely thought at that point that, you know, that I was just never going to meet anyone or no one would ever be interested or, you know, or that I was sort of set up for a life of those kind of disappointments, you know, but I sort of knew that I wanted to meet someone. And then you get in that whole kind of thing about, am I, you know, should I be strong by myself? Should I not need someone else? You know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I thought, sod that. I'm going I'm to go out some dates. Yeah, I went, I went out on a few dates with people who sort of messaged me through Instagram and things. That's the way the kids do it. Sliding into your DMs. Yeah, exactly. So the first guy that I went on a few dates was like deeply age inappropriate and but just really lovely and fun and interesting. Younger, was he younger? He was younger, yeah, he was younger. And you know what? I just thought sod it. And and I'd read these brilliant books my friend had given me. Well she first of all gave me it's called a breakup because it's broken, which was like get over it, which I thought was brilliant. And then she gave me a book called It's Just a Date, which it was written by the same people, one of the Sex and the City writers, and they just really give it to you straight. And they're like, and, and their big thing is like, go and see it as a nice evening. Do not invest like your entire future happiness. You know, don't Google stalk them. Don't do any of those things. Don't be, let it become this massive thing. So I was quite laissez-faire about it until about five minutes before when I just started sort of sweating profusely but I just I had a really nice night ended up having a snog yeah just sort of thought okay I think I'm going to be all right basically and then signed up to the you know this online thing called hinge and again you know like part of me was like I can hide that you know because in a way does it feel a bit uncool does it feel a bit desperate but I thought it's not fair to all those women because actually I don't know if you've been set up with people but it, that to me generally doesn't work <laughs> and I think the chances I mean maybe I'm wrong but the chances of you fancying them and them fancying you and you being kind of I don't know whereas like I do think you know those kind of those algorithms do work to a certain extent although there are a lot of like weird photos of like topless men it's always men that shouldn't be topless right <laughs> like, up nostril shots and things like that <laughs> Yes, in the urinals. What is that picture? I don't get the picture taken in the toilets. Yeah, there's the urinal picture. There's always 
some kind of sporty picture. Mind you, I think as women, we're just as bad. We fall into all those cliches, don't we? And then after that, once we got over the naked thing, I just think it's so interesting about what guys, what, what they're looking for on the profiles versus, you know, we're putting up a gorgeous picture of us looking great in our bikini or whatever. And I think to a lot of them, that's a bit kind of, <laughs> like one said to me, so I've got some photos from like the magazines and stuff. So I thought, oh, well, that's where I look really nice. I'm going to put those up. But I think they genuinely are like, why have you got professional photos on your thing? What kind of tosser are you? And I can like, now I can see that. You know what I mean? I interviewed this amazing woman, this sex doctor called um, Dr. Karen Gurney. And she wrote a book called Mind the Gap, I think it's called, about sort of the, the orgasm difference. But she said the biggest fear for women is in, in having sex for the first time is their body. They're so conscious about their body. Yeah. A men's biggest fear is performance. So it's, you know, it's very interesting that they're different. I don't know. I think in a way you just have to be like one, two, three, fuck it, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's great advice. Yeah. Get some nice underwear. I just think nice underwear is like, you know, I had such a terrible underwear drawer. And now I'm like, do you know what? That has got to be judged up. Yeah, I think that is one thing you can always do at the end of a relationship, whether it's a short one or a long one, they're just getting rid of that underwear and getting a couple of new choices always makes you feel more attractive and more confident and I think you know back to the whole sort of spa underwear I realize all these things are money and you know when you're kind of going through the horribleness of knowing not knowing what your finances are and all that sort of stuff then I can totally see but I think sometimes you just have to say okay I am going to spend that on myself you know you know whether it's like intimacy or if it's la perla whatever it is And whatever your budget is, just invest in yourself, basically. Don't put those barriers in, you know, treat yourself and stuff. I think it's a good point because, you know, these things can be seen as being a bit shallow. You know, they're all to do with the exterior. But what it does is it gives you a confidence boost when you really need it, especially if someone's cheated on you or they've gone off with somebody else. As we were talking about earlier, I mean, betrayal can have a massive impact on you. And those little things can really boost your mood and that's the thing it's about learning from the past it's about learning from your past mistakes because the past has a funny way of teaching us the same lessons over and over again until we sit up and listen right so when you're dating now are you looking for different things do you find yourself looking for things that maybe you didn't have in past relationships Well, it's interesting, isn't it, what you kind of look for subconsciously and consciously. I feel like I try to really learn lessons. And I think, you know, a lot of what we're programmed to be attracted to has come from childhood. And, you know, for me, I definitely, you know, I met my husband young. I was like, okay, he's a safe bet, ironically. Um, (laughs) So in a way, I was never brave in my choices. I never, you know, I kind of, And he was very straight, very solid. And so to me, that kind of, you know, creative stuff is really important and things. But really, and I think we had a chat about this, you know, you kind of write down a list of what really matters and what really matters is kindness and openness. And to me, it's somebody who's able to really think about emotions and process them and think about, you know, the impact of of what they're saying, what they're doing. And I'm learning that too, because I just feel like, you know, we so think that our lens is the only lens, don't we? Yeah. You know, I think men can see things very differently to us. So it's for me, it's about sort of understanding that, you know. Yes, I mean, being open-minded is really important, not 
always going for the same things you've always gone for in the past and being open to trying new things and just working out what you need rather than just what you want. I think that's really important too. And I have so many friends who are, you know, they're kind of all this stuff, which I mean, the people watching may or may not know, you know, the sort of avoidant relationships, people are attracted to people who aren't attracted to them, people who are kind of anxiously attacked, all those things that you can read. And I think you can read too much into those sometimes because I think we're all a bit like that in some way. But just kind of recognizing, you know, like, are you attracted to bastards? Like, why is that? Maybe that's not such a good idea. You know, it's, you know, or are you, you know, do you find that sexy? Why do you find that sexy? And does that conflict with actually, you actually want to settle down and have a nice relationship? So that's the, you know, that to me is just thinking about it a bit more. Yes. And I know it takes a while, doesn't it? When you've been hurt to think, yeah, you know, I, I do want to go on a date again because it's natural instinct to say, I don't want to date. I never want to see another man or woman again in my life because I could never trust anyone again. What would you say to them? Well, you know, I think people are really different. And, and weirdly, I don't, I totally see that and I totally understand it, but I don't feel that actually. Like, I, I don't know why, <laughs> what I did do, I think for quite a long time is like, and maybe still do a bit is like, you know, have some barriers up so that I kind of don't get hurt. So I don't give too much initially or I don't allow myself to sort of feel secure because I know that it can all go away but I also think you know the one lesson that it teaches us is that we are all right by ourselves so this is the icing on the cake basically I think if you're looking for it to make you happy then that's probably a bad sign it will make you happy it'll add a extra layer of happiness but you have if you're holding on to it really tight that's only going to go wrong I think absolutely yes I agree so I always ask my guests one question, and that is, what piece of advice would you give to someone from your own breakup experience that has helped you get through when life gets really tough? I think it would be sharing, actually. It would be sharing your pain, sharing your vulnerability, being open, saying, yes, please, I do need help. You know, if you've been a good person, you've given a lot during your life, then people are happy to help. But I think they are, if you're closed and you're not if you're giving them mixed messages, they don't know how to do that. So I would just say, you know, be open with it, basically. Tell people how you feel, explain to them the situation, and, and they will help. Yes, it's really important. And always ask for help when you need it. Now, I know you've written a book, How to Heal a Broken Heart from Rock Bottom to Reinvention via Ugly Crying on the Bathroom Floor. Tell us a bit about that. And when can we get a copy? I can't wait. It's going to come out February the 11th, I think, so near to Valentine's Day. I mean, I've always wanted to write a book, ironically. So, you know, in a way, this has helped me to do it. It's a book that I wanted to write to help people. So it's a kind of self-help, my public um, self-help, but also got my story in. And actually, my publisher had a really brilliant thing. She called it Stealth Help. So it's kind of, you're reading the story, but you're, you're getting help as you're reading it, basically. Just like, you know, a lot of the techniques you teach, it's about understanding that the brain can often sort of sabotage us and sabotage our recoveries. So, you know, to me, that was really interesting, all that kind of internet stalking that you do, the way you kind of crave that person like crack. I mean, it's not even necessarily that person you crave, but you just want to heal that 
rejection, you know, understanding the effects on our body. And it kind of follows the the trajectory, you know, through the kind of various stages, you know, the kind of anger and the grief and then the dating and then the sex and the, all those things. So it's like it's a kind of chronological story of recovery that people may feel at different times. But I just hope it's really helpful for people to see that, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And also to know, you know, that other people are going through the same kind of feelings. I think it's brilliant, amazing, and totally inspiring. So that's it for today's episode. But do go along and check out Rosie's website, www.lifesrosie.co.uk. And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review in iTunes will win the chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day, including exclusive one-on-one coaching with Sarah Davison herself. Be sure to head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Sarah's gift. Then join us on the next episode.